0: Section 8, ETH, Layers, and Bridges. Before you start this section, I want you to stop reading, go to a mirror, and repeat after me. It isn't TBI's job to hype my project onto his top platforms list. If we didn't get written up this year, there's always next year, or Masari's ongoing research, or we will take this as a learning opportunity that in one single idiot's mind we either weren't worth covering yet or... More likely, it's simply not possible to cover every single project that has exploded in the industry's largest ever growth year, even in concise subsections of a 150-page report. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Weep cathartically. Now that that's out of the way, we have a lot to cover, starting with the core blockchain outside of Bitcoin, Ethereum. Section 8.1 ETH's Q3 Earnings Report I loved Bankless's Q3 update on Ethereum. It's so freaking cool that we can produce earnings reports for any crypto community without the need for any central corporate investor relations team, and we can do it over any arbitrary time period and update it in real time. We're talking about a 1000x improvement in investor information symmetry here. And it's pretty fun to write about Ethereum's financial performance now too. EIP-1559 went live in early August. London hard fork, restructuring the network's fee market and burning ETH gas fees to the benefit of all ETH holders in the process. Over $1.3 billion was burned in the half quarter following the update, which helps make Ethereum look more like a high growth tech stock to more traditional investors. How would you value a company with this growth profile? This summer's NFT mania pushed the Ethereum network to its breaking point, even as more on-chain capacity migrated to Ethereum's newly launched Layer 2s, Optimistic Ethereum launched its Alpha in July, and Arbitrum 1's Maynet launched in August. As of this writing, there are now $330 million locked in Optimism, Uniswap and synthetics; $2.7 billion locked in Arbitrum, Uni, Sushi, Reddit, and $5.1 billion locked in Polygon, Ave, Polymarket, Decentraland. DeFi Llama helps track all this locked value in real time, and that's before factoring in throughput that migrated to DYDX's ZK rollup chain built on Starkware, where liquidity sits around $1 billion and volumes at one point eclipsed Coinbases. As Bankless summarized, there's more value locked in DeFi than the market cap of most banks. Billions of dollars were burned in EIP-1559. Interoperable layer twos have seen adoption explode, And the merge to Ethereum's proof-of-stake blockchain is in its final stages, which could further reward ETH holders with staking rewards and onboard new institutional investors who may have otherwise been hesitant to invest given their ESG mandates slash mining concerns. Not bad for a year's work. There's no obvious headwind in sight, though that can always change rapidly in a risk-off environment given crypto's reflexivity or if ETH2 delays or stalls in roll-up adoption continue to push capacity to competitors. Section 8.2. 1559. Miners and MEVers. EIP-1559 helped stabilize the Ethereum transaction fee market by implementing a 12.5% base fee shift per block, reducing transaction fee volatility, and redirecting certain minor, attractable value attack vectors. Between the London hard fork and the mass migration of decentralized exchange volumes to layer two chains, you can get a sense for which applications are most likely to migrate to layer two next by tracking this burn leaderboard. MEV dropped more than 80% as a percentage of network usage since the beginning of the year. EIP-1559 also took some money out of miners' pockets by burning base fees rather than passing them along with the block rewards. That's caused some concern over the merge. We've never seen a switch from a proof-of-work network to a proof-of-state network at this magnitude before. But my money is on a smooth transition, at least when it comes to miners behaving themselves. Two of the large Chinese mining pools have already shut down following the CCP's mining ban, and remaining Western miners, many have ties to early Ethereum investors, seem more likely to switch cleanly to staking versus engage in a last-minute power play. Section 8.3 The Merge and Liquid Staking Ethereum's merge to proof-of-stake will radically change the dynamics of the staking market. JP Morgan even projects that staking will be a $40 billion per year industry by 2025. But for all the benefits of the switch, staking presents an opportunity cost problem. Locking assets to participate in network validation, particularly in a year-long initial staking period, prevents these assets from being used in other parts of the ecosystem. It didn't take long for developers to fix this glitch and create liquid synthetic representations of all that staked capital. Right now, there's just $10 billion in liquid staked assets, a figure which would have to grow 50x or more if we were to hit J.P. Morgan's $40 billion staking revenue threshold by 2025. It's too early to pick a winner in any of these projects, but I'm watching all of them, and I'm an early investor in Lido and Anchor. Being able to earn staking rewards while maintaining liquid collateral opens up a number of possibilities. Earn yield on your yield coins. And while I'm long-term bullish, I'm a bit worried in the short term about liquidation risks. One, bull markets don't last forever. And a delay in the merge plus a turn in market sentiment to risk off or a rotation out of ETH to layer 1s could create bank run scenarios and the other DeFi protocols that lean on Lido's staked ETH for collateral. Number two, Cross-chain bridges have been susceptible to a number of hacks so far. The cross-chain availability of some of these tokens opens up a number of compounding technical risks. Number three, validator downtime early on in the post-merge environment could lead to slashing, which would impact the stake token's collateral backing. I'm not smart enough to handicap these risks, but as magical as DeFi is, I am old enough to know that system leverage, layers of collateralization, cross-chain availability, and an unprecedented migration of a $500 billion network to a brand new blockchain creates risks. Section 8.4. To EVM or non-EVM. I believe we'll live in a multi-chain world, and Ethereum's EVM or Ethereum virtual machine will almost certainly be one of the standards that matter on a consolidated basis for decades to come. In the next few sections, I'll cover the other early leaders in the race to Dominant Layer 1 or Layer 0 with dedicated sections for Solana, Cosmos IBC, Polkadot, and Terra. There's a window of time where this battle for Mindshare will play out, many standards, but you certainly don't want to be the one bag-holding the 5th guy for anything more than a trade. We may have hundreds or thousands of application-specific rollups or parachains or zones, but we won't have hundreds of Layer 0, Layer 1, Layer 2 standards. As Ramshreyas wrote in a recent Pro piece, major tech platforms tend to trend towards duopolies. Perhaps this time will be different, but I find it unlikely that developers, particularly those working in small teams, will choose to integrate with multiple virtual machines outside of the top two to three, even in the near term unless they have vastly superior technical capabilities that better suit their application. E.g. Serum's decentralized exchange can only work on Solana as its central limit order book would be infeasible on Ethereum. Even then, many upstarts will face a choice in the medium term between going the safe route and building on Ethereum's EVM or settling new land on a tech stack that might not survive a bear market. Section 8.5 Layer 1 Relative Valuations In broad strokes, Ethereum's competitors are all taking different angles towards solving the scalability trilemma, which holds that blockchains can only prioritize two out of three priorities between scalability, decentralization, and security. Vitalik and the other Ethereum core developers have already rallied around a roll-up-centric future which prioritizes the security and decentralization of the base Ethereum blockchain intentionally over its scalability, which will be pushed to the other adjacent chains. This model is similar to the preferred path of Polkadot and Cosmos. Solana, on the other hand, wants to go fast, and they're satisfied with sacrificing some level of decentralization for speed. When it comes to the relative valuations of these projects it helps then to think about the size of their entire economies their developer ecosystems the value they secure the interoperability and incentives they offer their value capture mechanisms and which technical trade-offs you believe the largest applications will choose to optimize for at the beginning of the year i thought ETH's lead was unassailable now i'm not so sure even if it has a number of tailwinds going into the new year decentralization, specifically political decentralization, and architectural soundness have become secondary properties at best and willfully ignored at the worst in the mercenary dominant market of 2021. Not every new chain has tossed decentralization aside, but many have. Even if Ethereum manages to hold off its largest non-EVM rivals, it will leak value to the roll-up chains it leans on for scalability. ETH sits at 60% market cap dominance among layer 1s. That will either fall below 50% in 2022 or its layer 2 roll-up tokens will eat into its growth. Maybe both. This goes back to my earlier point about cryptocurrencies versus crypto computing platforms. Watkins pointed it out too. A crypto economy with multiple winners would look similar to the world we live in today with five dominant $1 trillion plus technology companies section 8.6 solana summer never ends no project maybe in crypto's history has gotten hotter faster than solana in 2021 a 100x rally a legendary challenge from one of its early critical backers intense vc interest an exploding infrastructure stack syndica and application ecosystem and a blockchain that is fast 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 make it the first legitimate challenger to ethereum's layer one dominance. I will acknowledge the recency bias, but only if you also acknowledge the fact that Solana is really good at the things Ethereum doesn't even try to be good at. Solana is not trying to out-EVM and out-modularize Ethereum. It's trying to fit everything it can into its base chain. The team is executing at a breakneck pace that was evident this month at their Breakpoint conference. $100 million in investment for decentralized social media with Reddit's co-founder. $100 million fund with FTX geared towards blockchain gaming, Brave's migration to Solana as the browser's default blockchain, Solana's ascendance as a potentially dominant platform in crypto gaming and NFTs, hello, FTX integration, and the recent $1 million wallet threshold for Solana's browser wallet, Phantom. It hasn't been a panacea. The network had a major 17-hour outage, Or a 17-hour block, if you ask Solana founder Anatoly, that could have led to systematic issues in its fledgling DeFi apps had the Solana price cratered. But if we're calling things fairly, this isn't dissimilar to the early technical challenge Bitcoin and Ethereum faced. We often forget that this network that has amassed a $65 billion plus market cap launched fewer than two years ago. Growing pains are inevitable, and it's normal for networks to discover catastrophic bugs early in their life cycles. We'll see if the momentum is sustainable long term, but Multicoin crushed the short term thesis saying the only blockchain protocol that can scale to tens of millions of users within the next 24 months is Solana. I'm not saying that scaling via sharding and roll ups can't work. I'm actually optimistic that both solutions will eventually, but both of these scaling strategies don't really work today and will create a lot of secondary and tertiary problems that have to be worked through. It's hard to see a world in which impartial organizations that demand certainty around scalability will get the certainty they need in the next 24 months because there are so many intertwined components to scaling Ethereum. Section 8.7. Polkadot's Slow and Steady Rollout As I discussed with founder Gavin Wood at this year's Maynet conference, ETH 2.0 looks a lot like Polkadot. Polkadot bills itself as Interoperable Chain of Chains or Layer Zero or Meta Protocol. It's designed to connect up to 100 parachains for now that will compete to share security with its core relay chain. We don't need to get into the technical weeds here. You can read more about how Polkadot works in our pro piece, but just know that you should keep an eye on the protocol this month in particular as its parachain auctions are kicking into high gear now. The first five winners will be onboarded to the network on December 15th, following the previous dress rehearsal on its test network, Kusama. Come at me, KSM mob. Polkadot is interesting for a few reasons, not the least of which is that the rollout is slow but steady in contrast to Solana's pace, and the development team seems to be inverting the ETH 2.0 model. Rather than having applications flee the Layer 1 to work on friendlier application-specific chains, ETH's rollout model, Polkadot began with a base layer that had limited execution capabilities but generalized security. The protocol outsources most functionality to customizable execution layers, or parachains, at regular intervals or slot auctions, which requires contributors to buy and lock up dots on an ongoing basis. Add in staking in parachain bond derivatives, e.g. those on Akala, and you have the makings of a Ponzi-nomic masterpiece. Polkadot might be moving a bit slower and steadier than the other projects in this chapter, but I wouldn't bet on someone who co-founded Ethereum and followed it up with a second $50 billion network. Section 8.8. Cosmos and IBC Opt-in. If you haven't gotten the gist already, the interchain thesis has won. Cosmos was the first to work on a modular network of blockchains, and Ethereum's roll-up centric scaling plan sealed the deal. The one-chain-to-rule-them-all thesis is dead, and Cosmos Inter-Blockchain Communication Protocol, or IBC, does something Polkadot and Ethereum don't, keeps the protocol entirely open and independent of the Cosmos hub and its native token, Atom. The hub is not enshrined in the Cosmos ecosystem. It competes on equal footing with other chains that may seek to serve as a central router of data and assets across the Cosmos ecosystem in the future. The hub's initial shared security model offers new Cosmos blockchains, or zones, the option to anchor to the hub on an opt-in basis. Like Polkadot's relay chain or Ethereum's beacon chain, but 100% optional. Cosmos treats interoperability as a spectrum then. Zones and their users choose which security risks to take on from connecting to other zones. Fully uncoupled zones might not connect at all, while fully coupled zones might share a single consensus process. Eric Voorhees laid out the multi-chain narrative evolution of the top platforms nicely. Ethereum Q1. DeFi, decentralized, but kind of slow and very expensive. BSC Q2. DeFi, not decentralized, but quite fast and cheap. Solana Q3. DeFi, kind of decentralized, very fast and cheap. Cosmos slash IBC Q4. DeFi, decentralized, fast, and cheap. Paradigm's Charlie Noyes puts it even more simply, saying, if Ethereum is a mainframe computer, Cosmos is a protocol for networking independent servers. Chain speculation might be the only way to effectively scale on-chain activity, but Cosmos doesn't seek a premature answer to the question of how blockchains will get modularized and which markets will be winner-take-most. That's one reason it's powered two of the top ten blockchains, Binance, Smart Chain, and Terra, and may include dozens of others in the future, including Ethereum. As Doquan put it at Mainnet, maybe it's a bad idea to stick all the applications into one global computer. Maybe it just makes sense to have a multi-chain future. Speaking of Doe, section 9.9, Terraforming, La Luna. A layperson may have read the last couple sections and thought, oh boy, This is too esoteric for me. I'm aware that I'm letting others down, see best of the rest in the next section, by not going layer one by layer one ad infinitum, but we're going to move on to one final layer one and then wrap here. Terra is interesting because it's a layer one platform that didn't actually start as such, but rather emerged. Terra's application ecosystem has exploded this year. Its partnership with South Korean payment app Chai brings Terra to 2.3 million users. Terra's algorithmic stablecoin UST has gone from $0 to $7.2 billion in its first year and may soon overtake make-or-die in market cap. Synthetic stock application Mirror costs $1.5 billion in locked value, just shy of Synthetic's $2.1 billion. Terra's anchor protocol has locked nearly as much Luna, $4 billion, as Ethereum's Lido has ETH, $6 billion. The biggest headwinds are known unknowns, but it's unclear whether they prove manageable or catastrophic to the entire Terra ecosystem. Aside from Doquan and Terraform Labs battle with the SEC over Mir and its synthetic stock tokens, there's the reflexivity of UST and its usage of Luna as a primary source of collateral to worry about. In a full risk-off environment, it's unclear how resilient Terra and UST might be. During the spring dump of Luna, UST nearly became insolvent as the value of Luna fell below the total value of UST in circulation. It also took a $70 million capital infusion from Terraform Labs to shore up the stability reserve at anchor, a systematically important Terra lending protocol. The lender of last resort model works until it doesn't. On the other hand, the protocol's Columbus 5 upgrade, which among other things connected Terra to all other Cosmos blockchains, and wormhole V2 integration bringing Luna and UST to Ethereum, Solana, and Binance Smart Chain, will de-risk some of the reflexivity by extending the protocol to other chains, as well as extend UST's relevance across the rest of the crypto economy. That's why I remain bullish on Terra's long-term potential. Terra's stablecoin potential alone give the project a massive TAM. Section 8.10 The best of the rest of the L1s. There are simply too many of them. I'm sorry. Cardano is in the top 10, so this may seem like a slight, but not a single person in my network recommended I replace a section on Sol, Dot, Luna, or Atom with ADA. If anything, Avalanche was the first bubble team slighted for the big dance, but we'll be dropping a big report on them soon. Algorand has made some moves recently too, and they got the mooch on the board. Phantom has buy-in from Andre Cronje, one of last year's top 10 people to watch for his network on stablecoin project, Yearn, and coverage from Nansen. Near has been aggressive, aggressive on the grants incentives, and expanded its ecosystem through EVM-compatible Aurora sidechain, etc. If you want more ongoing coverage of the next 10 layer ones that could break out and vie for supremacy, or at least league status, you can check out more research on Masari Pro or sponsored coverage on Masari Hub, where we're building a marketplace that connects independent analysts and project in dire need of oxygen. We can't do it alone, no matter how quickly we're scaling our team. You can read more on Avalanche, Algrand, Definity, NEAR, Cardano, Phantom, Elrond, CeeLo, Harmony, and BSC through the links tied to the Masari Theses 2020 digital copy. Even then, I know I'm missing some projects. Use the Masari search bar. On to the L2s. Section 8.11. Polygon Flippin's ETH. Before we move on to major players in L2 scaling, it's helpful to recap that there are essentially 7 paths to scaling blockchains that we know so far. Number 1. Layer 1 optimizations. As we saw in the directions above, there are a lot of innovative approaches to scaling the core blockchains themselves. They all make different trade-offs in the same trilemma of decentralization, security, and transaction capacity. Number two, Layer Zero Interoperability. ETH 2.0, Polkadot, and Cosmos IBC all make similar assumptions that their networks will essentially be networks of interoperable chains with shared settlement layers. Number 3. Payment channels. This is what Bitcoin's Lightning Network uses. You lock funds in a channel, and you can operate with other channels that adopt the same scripts. These are usually application-specific, good for payments, but sub-optimal for most other cases. Number 4. Sidechains. XDAI is a good example. Binance Smart Chain is also arguably a sidechain of Ethereum, or at least it could be in the future. Sidechains plug into some layer zero layer one network and are responsible for their own consensus security models number five plasma often called child chains because they are essentially copies of ethereum these are separate blockchains anchored to ethereum through a trust minimized bridge system each plasma chain can use its own mechanism for validating transactions but you still use the ethereum blockchain as final arbiter of truth the various Plasma designs have faced a host of UX and security issues and don't naturally support smart contract development. OMG and Polygon, for example, have since pivoted away from Plasma, leading some to suggest that Plasma is effectively dead. Number six, Optimistic Rollups. Optimism and Arbitrum use these. See next section. Rollups are mini blockchains that move computation off of Ethereum. They are separate state storage, the full transaction data stored in the rollup chain, and the fingerprint of that state, pushed to the layer one, and optimistically assume that the fingerprint represents the correct transaction history on that rollup. Since Ethereum stores the fingerprint, it serves as the final arbiter of truth, enabling rollups to assume the security guarantees of Ethereum itself. It's an innocent until proven guilty model where users can flag fraudulent rollup transactions during a challenge period, while fully EVM compatible, Uniswap, Sushiswap have already migrated, the challenge period means cross-chain transactions like moving from Arbitrum to Ethereum aren't instantly liquid. Number seven, ZK rollups. ZK Sync and Starkware use these, two sections from now. And DYDX is in live production using Starkware's technology. ZK rollups are lightning fast because they use something called validity proofs, making them instantly verifiable and eliminating the need for a liquidity sucking challenge period. They have also made strides on becoming EVM compatible with Starkware StarkNet and ZK Sync 2.0 sporting built-in compilers to support the execution of smart contracts written in Solidity and Viper but these EVM-compatible solutions aren't live yet. ZK rollups to date have only supported a few discrete tasks like direct transfers and trading, like ring. If you're lost, here's a picture. If you're still lost, Finematics does a great job breaking down layer twos and polygons in particular, and Coin98 has a good graphic that lays out the ETH2 ecosystem and the scaling solutions in particular. Ben Simon of Mechanism Capital is a master of making sense of rollups, You might have more 101 level homework if none of the above makes sense to you. Onward for the 201 level students. Polygon's rise this year has been remarkable. I'm not talking about the nearly 100X year-to-date rally in price. I'm talking about how effective the team has been so far in making strides to build a generalizable scaling protocol that allows user application developers to choose between building an Ethereum sidechain, a plasma chain, or soon a roll-up chain. The fact that Polygon flipped Ethereum and active user addresses may be the best Exhibit A we have that scaling is an existential priority for the Ethereum ecosystem. Were it not for Polygon's role in processing NFT and gaming transactions this summer, the migration to alternative L1s like Solana may have been even more rapid. Students of modern crypto history will note that Polygon is now much bigger than the initial Matic sidechain and Plasma solution that was launched on Ethereum. If you see the ticker MATIC for Polygon Anywhere, that's why. Its core product remains the EVM-compatible Polygon POS chain and POS bridge, which derive their security from a group of MATIC stakers on Ethereum. This chain isn't a roll-up since it has a separate validator set, but it also isn't a sidechain because Polygon validators periodically commit the chain's state to Ethereum, leading the team to characterize it as a commit chain. Polygon has since ventured into new territory with an array of scaling solutions and complementary tooling. Between May and July, the team introduced the Polygon SDK, a framework for launching new blockchains that could either serve as a roll-up or standalone chain, and Avail, a data availability solution for Polygon SDK chains. It has also made a concentrated effort to focus on ZK technology as the long-term scaling solution for the Polygon ecosystem. In August, Polygon's merge with Hermes, an open source ZK rollup scaling solution, was a step towards integrating ZK into the core Polygon ecosystem. The team also announced a $1 billion strategic fund to invest in ZK technology and revealed Miden, an upcoming Stark based rollup that will be EVM compatible. On a long enough timeline, all crypto will converge to zero knowledge crypto. If you haven't already, check out our Masari Pro subscription. You can start a seven day free trial today. It will give you access to our industry leading research and pro data tools. GoPro for 15% off with the offer code underscore 2022 Again, that's underscore 2022 Section 8.12 They're optimistic. Vitalik and the Ethereum core developers have come around to the roll-up-centric design for Ethereum scaling that looks most similar to the designs of Polkadot and Cosmos. Settling a range of independent EVM-compatible execution layer blockchains that roll up to the same Ethereum beacon chain is already picking up some steam across two different types of roll-ups, Optimistic and Zero Knowledge, or ZK. Optimistic rollups optimistically assume all transactions on the rollup blockchain are valid by default. They use an innocent until proven guilty model where transaction confirmations on the L1 chain are subject to a challenge period as a fraud prevention mechanism. This requires some latency between L1 and L2 transactions in order to allow for challenges, but they are EVM compatible out of the box, which allows developers to port existing solidity contracts from Ethereum's L1 to optimistic L2s with minimal alterations. It's likely we'll see that less than 80% of on-chain EVM transaction volume move to L2 chains within the next 12 months. The speed of the migration will be incredible once it's been de-risked by other top applications and the POS merge gets implemented in early 2021. Time is of the essence as other layer ones continue to gain market share. At the beginning of the year, Ethereum had 98% of TVL. That's down to just 66% today. Moving quickly on Layer 2 migrations might be easier for some applications. Aggregate most decentralized exchange liquidity on a single roll-up chain. But for others, it will be more challenging. For example, Vitalik highlighted the need to move quickly on cross-L2 portability for NFTs this fall. Exhibit 347 that will live in an abundant multi-chain future. Section 8.13. Zero Knowledge Scaling. Vitalik thinks that ZK rollups will process the vast majority of Ethereum's transactions long term. They may also upend the thesis for alternative L1s. The most innovative tech in crypto hasn't widely impacted the markets yet, but that may change with StarkX and ZK Sync. ZK might be the only solution that will enable crypto to scale to billions of users, and it provides the only privacy guarantee institutions might need to participate in public, interoperable blockchains so they adequately safeguard proprietary customer data. ZK rollups leverage zero-knowledge proofs. Also known as magic beans to industry insiders, using this terminology will make you sound really well connected at your next meetup to near instantly confirm the state of their L2 chains to the Ethereum L1. Loopring, X, and DYDX are early adopters, but don't expect their success to lead a rush for ZK rollups just yet. They aren't fully EVM compatible and require some customization to hop between the L1 and other L2s. The programmability gap will inevitably close between Optimistic and ZK Rollups. Starkware says its StarkNet is coming soon, but today the trade off is about simplicity and compatibility versus settlement speed. Vitalik is probably right about ZK Rollups dominating, but from a technical and regulatory standpoint, it will take time and a lot of education. My bet is that L1 Ethereum transactions account for less than 20% of transactions by the end of next year, and optimistic rollups account for less than 50% of total L2 usage by the end of 2023. It's going to come faster than we think by necessity. Section 8.14. Build me a bridge. By now, it's abundantly clear that a multi-chain world isn't just the future, it's the present. There are 15 blockchains today that store over $10 billion in assets each, and Bitcoin and Ethereum store nearly $2 trillion by themselves. Growth doesn't appear to be slowing anytime soon, and it's likely even more blockchains will rise in the coming years with the launch of Layer 2 roll-up chains. In many ways, the world of blockchains is quickly starting to resemble our physical world today, defined by nations which each have their own economics governed by their own rules. However, blockchain ecosystems remain divided. They're the isolationist nations with limited transportation systems or international trading arrangements. Today, there is still no scalable, decentralized, widely integrated protocol that moves value and data between blockchains without relying on trusted third parties Instead, users mostly rely on centralized intermediaries like exchanges and custodians to move value between blockchains, exposing them to custodial risks and seizure censorship risks. Luckily, there are a number of teams acutely aware of this opportunity, and projects like Cosmos that have been building for this world since 2014. Dimitri Baranzan wrote a great piece overviewing the various approaches to cross-chain bridges. Just as Ethereum's composability enabled developers to package protocols together and build new dynamic applications, e.g. Yearn depositing assets into Compound, Ave, Curve, etc. for automated yield, we'll likely see similar cross-chain applications that emerge once the bridge infrastructure is ready and capable of unlocking crypto collateral. Cross-chain interoperability is also likely to standardize around a small number of trusted, widely integrated protocols. The immaturity of today's solutions creates significant user and developer friction. A bridge that's credibly decentralized, battle-tested, and well-integrated across layer ones would likely emerge as the preferred choice for cross-chain liquidity simply due to its predictability and reliability. As the multi-chain economy grows, it's inevitable that cross-chain bridges will facilitate an enormous amount of asset and data transfer volume. Prediction. The most popular L1 to L2 L1 to L1, L2 to L2 bridge protocols will have higher daily volumes than most popular centralized exchange within five years. Section 8.15. Wrapping it all up. Before we get to our final chapter on participation in the Web3 economy and the future organizational structure of society, it's helpful to take a step back and recap the incredible breadth of innovation that's just beginning to emerge in crypto. I love this thread on the 23 crypto innovations that will revolutionize our world. Time will tell if the markets are overheated in the short term, but we're just getting started in the crypto super cycle. It's day one.